0: Love Talk Radio. good afternoon once again it's time for the Crystal Silence League Hour and I'm your host John St. Germain and tonight we're going to discuss further the uh, history myths and legends of the Southeastern Band of Cherokee and we'll get into that in just a minute so why don't you just relax make yourself comfortable not too comfortable if you're driving of course and um, have yourself a drink and we'll be back in just a moment and we'll get started Well, tonight we have many topics to cover. Well, I don't guess that many, but we do have a few. And we're going to look at the, uh, the wisdom of the old ones, the uh, the old lessons. And I think sometimes we do forget about these things. And we we ask for answers we look for answers. And I'll tell you, I talk to a lot of people, and they, they want to be happy. And they ask you why they're not happy. And... They talk to me and they say, you know, I don't know why I'm not happy. I have everything I need. I've graduated from college or I've been trained and uh, I have a good job. I have plenty of money. I have food in my pantry, a roof over my head. I have a house full of electronics. I have everything I need. Why am I not happy? And the answer is uh, obvious when you think about it. They they don't have a challenge anymore and they they've ceased to pay attention. They've they no longer have anything to strive for. And if you don't have anything to strive for, if you're not moving forward, you do, you stop paying attention. You're no longer interested in your life and you go to work and you come home and your work usually is routine. You get up at a certain time of day, you go to work, you have it down, you know what to do. People tell you what to do usually. And you come home and you come to your comfortable home and, uh, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have enough money to get the things you want and to have food in your pantry and um, electronics, and you have Netflix to keep you entertained, and um, uh, you know enough things to keep you interested and distracted, you uh, you really don't have anything to strive for. And if you're not growing, if you're not reaching for something, you cease to pay attention. And um, so, I believe that. This is the problem, and what we find with the old wisdom is that there is a a constant communication with the world around them, Um, and a constant awareness that we're an inch away from the spirit world. Um, We uh, we develop an awareness when we work with spirits of the physical body comes from the elements. It comes from the air and the soil. It comes from the earth, the water, and it goes back to the sources from whence it comes. And uh, we also believe that there's a mental, there are mental and spiritual portions that um, some essence that we have that also goes back to the sources that we can sense, but we can never prove. And so. We have a, an emotional bundle that goes with that. We have a bundle of senses and emotions and memories that we carry with that. And often these, uh, I'm not sure what I'm getting here at here, but the uh, often we carry what we call baggage with that. We carry bundles of pain and um, uh, regrets and uh, sometimes the weight of these regrets as you go through life, almost more than... A person can carry. We sometimes think we had one great love and we'll never have another one. We think that the best years are behind us instead of ahead of us. And these are the spiritual uh, problems and burdens and issues and conflicts that we have. And while we have, you know, wise men and women, elders, medicine people, healers among us, to help us resolve this and the, uh, uh, the ancient wisdoms that come down to us from teacher to student from father and mother to son and daughter, the grand, the grandparents to grandchildren. And in these lessons are necessary factors and these lessons don't come from some mysterious source that come from the world around us. We learn by looking at the world around us and by listening to spirit. And so that's where we look for this teaching. And um, we will uh, look into that further today. This is the Crystal Silence League Hour. For those of you who may be wondering, and we are a resource of the Crystal Silence League, which you can find at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. Now, the Crystal Silence League, for those of you who may not know, was founded around 1917 by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon, who was a magical adept. And it was founded for the purpose of distributing and projecting positive affirmation and prayer for all those in need of such a service. And he had a newsletter and he had a publishing company and he provided crystal balls for people to work with. And when he passed into the silence around 1954, the League went with him until the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches. And its earlier incarnation of Missionary Independent Spiritual Church founded it online and launched it. And you can find us at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And if you go there, you'll find that we have prayer page, a prayer uh, petition prayer page. We can post your prayers and prayers always free at the Crystal Silence League. We don't charge to pray for you, and we often get as many as 200 prayers a week. And it's been my custom since we founded the league to pray for people. Um, My custom has been to read some of these prayers out loud. If you post them, I may read them, and I keep them anonymous. But before we get to our prayers, we want to talk about our crystal of week, which is petalite. And petalite comes from um, uh, the Greek word for leaf. And it can be any color, really. It can be uh, colorless, gray, or yellow. We're going to talk about pink petalite. Uh, Sometimes it can be green. It depends on what mineral is uh, infused within it. And uh, pink petalite is often associated uh, with angels. It's sometimes included as one of the angel stones. And um, it can help uh, protect you from negative energies uh, sometimes used to protect even uh, uh, voodoo work against you, it can protect you from that negative psychic attacks uh, negative people um, it can uh, help you uh, during meditation when you're attempting to connect to higher consciousnesses uh, it's very good with uh, anxiety uh, If if you're feeling anxious And you have that jittery feeling. Very good to calm you back down. Helps you enter a meditative state of calmness. uh, Helps you relax. Helps you rest. Um, It also helps keep your heart grounded and protected. Um, It does help you um, release negative energies. If you find yourself being uh, uh, negative and seeing only the dark side of things. Uh, It cannot protect you from negative things happening to you. Um, but it can help you accept them better and deal with them better. The um, uh, One of the very interesting things about it is um, uh, this sense of acceptance you feel when you have it. Um, you just kind of let go of uh, the negative things of the past, the baggage of the past, and accept it. And find a uh, uh you know a sense of uh, release from it um i want to tell you a um uh a a thing an attitude that I've been talking about with a lot of my clients and uh many people they they want justice they want they want uh, uh, uh i don't know a, a balance of the scales and this it's is something that they hold on to, and it, it makes them uh, enraged. It's, I want justice. I just want justice. It's not fair. Things are not fair. And uh, many people go through life thinking the world is not fair. And some time ago, I came to this um, attitude. I don't know. I said, what, I asked a question. I said, well, what if the world is fair? What if we're wrong? What if the world is fair? And I rewrote that narrative. It changes things if you just think no matter what has happened to you and what people have done to you, what if you just rewrite that and say, well, maybe the world is fair and you find this great peace comes around you and you begin to make sense of things, you know, rather than thinking that you're storm tossed in this world that makes no sense. You begin to make sense of things and see connections and see cause and event cause and effects to events. And, it becomes sensible. Now, I have talked to people with this uh, about this, and sometimes people get very defensive about it and say, well how, well, how can you say it's fair when this happens? Tell me how this can be fair. And I cannot tell you that. I cannot write that narrative for you. This is work you have to do yourself, because if I start trying to tell you how the terrible things in your life are fair, if I try to write that narrative for you, you'll get mad at me. You know, you'll be resentful of me. Uh, that's not work I can do for you, and I cannot even tell you to do this. I can't make this suggestion for you. All I can tell you that if you do rewrite this narrative and say that maybe the world is fair, maybe all of the things that have happened to you and to me have happened for a reason, and you find a cause and event for it, um, you know a causal event, approximate cause that all of a sudden things start to make more sense. You know, maybe there were decisions made, maybe there were events, but nothing happened without a reason. Nothing just came out of the blue, nothing appeared by magic. Um, there were reasons. And I do think that Pet Light uh, may help you in those meditations. Uh, get a, get two pieces, hold them in each hand, and just sit and ask for answers. or say, okay, why did these things happen? I'm ready for the answer. I'm ready to accept the answers, and just sit and wait, and maybe the answers will come to you. It's a hard stone. Um, it is a, um, a very high vibration stone, so it will bring you insights. Don't you know? But also, you know, be careful what you ask for. Well, why don't we go to our prayer page? www.crystalsilenceleague.org. You go to the prayer request page and you'll see lots of them. And, um, if you remember, you can go to the inner inner secret circle, um, page and look, look at more than the average, uh, casual viewer. And I never read names out loud. I just read the uh, prayer ID number. And, uh, pardon me if I sound really tired. I've been working very hard. Um, uh, almost constantly. If you, uh, or on any of our Facebook pages, you'll see I'm doing major renovations to my three chapels and I'm working regularly as I do doing readings and root work and, uh, religious ceremonies, but I'm also doing major renovations to the chapel, uh, involving stones and rock and stuff and, uh, painting and carpentry work as well. So, uh, I am tired. I'm, I'm an old guy too doing this and, uh, uh while 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 i am a beast it does take its toll on me and i considered actually uh, doing a rerun show tonight and just taking my rest but i thought no i'm gonna go ahead and do my show because you know i'm a beast so if i sound a little tired i am but you know not a big deal so we're going to read the prayers now and uh, get into the spirit we're going to get into the spirit and uh I shall call it down, folks. Let's start with prayer ID 76185, who prays that her friend will get a job. And she says, I'm asking prayers for my friend E. She has a job interview tomorrow, and it's very important that she's hired for this job, and this is indeed tomorrow. She posted today. Please pray she'll have the confidence to ace the interview so that the employers will want to hire her above any other candidates for the job. And please pray the employers offer the job. Thank you. Amen. I hope I hope." He gets that job. Prayer ID 76184, who is praying and and uh, expressing uh, her feelings toward, apparently, a, uh, a lover or a wannabe lover. And she says, I want you to tell me how you feel. I want to hear you communicate the feelings you have toward me, for better or worse. Don't be confusing. Tell me and speak to me. Tell me I'm on your mind, even if you're confused. But open up. There's emotional barriers here. Open up now and tell me what's on your mind and let me help. May it be so. Amen. And our next prayer is prayer ID 76183, who asks us to please pray that GA returns to me permanently and completely. Pray that all obstacles keeping us apart are permanently and completely removed. Pray that guilt, depression, and other people and outside influences are permanently and completely removed. Pray pray that our romantic companionship is completely and permanently restored, renewed, and reconciled. And pray that G falls deeper in love with me. And pray that our bond of communication is strengthened and restored. Amen. And then we have prayer ID 76182 who says, Oh God, please bless S and her children, their own company house, and bless them with their own company house. Amen. Prayer ID 76181, who says, pray for me to stay focused and stay strong and forget about the backstabbers, my enemies. I wish and pray for love and peace in my life, and I pray for a large financial windfall in my life. So I can pay my own bills and not have to ask anyone for anything. Especially me and cause all they want to do is use me. I pray my broken heart to be healed. I miss my mother so much. I wish she was here. It breaks my heart. How somebody killed her. I'm still grieving. I miss so much. Amen. You know, may you be healed and may you be comforted. Prayer ID 76180. Who prays everyone's safety from Hurricane Florence. I'm not a Catholic, but I'm praying for those that are currently the Virginia, Carolinas, and the Atlantic area are about to be hit by Hurricane Florence. I pray for everyone's safety during the storm. If they had not evacuated, safety from floods, safety from the possible aftermath. I'm leaving the area for New York City, so I hope I'm safe during my road trip. Well, we hope we are too. Be safe. Amen and prayer id 76179 who says please pray for me to pass my cna exam i need to become a cna to apply to certain nursing programs and also have another stream of income to support myself and retired mother i thank the universe amen and prayer id 76178 who prays i'm asking for prayers for my daughter and her child who in australia Her marriage is in trouble and life and her children's life in serious danger. I'm praying every day and I need more help. No weapon forged against them shall prosper. Amen. And prayer ID 76177. I want to pray for my two sisters, R and R, and I want to pray for my mother as well. I haven't been perfect. We all have flaws, but God's forgiveness has pulled me through many past mistakes. I've been constantly mistreated because of my income, by my family, me and my kids have went without on many occasions. My mom has stepped up and helped out when she can. I pray that their heart, mind, soul, and spirit align with God. It's been rough for me at times, but I know God will take care of me. Amen." Prayer ID 76176. Greetings to all dedicants. I'm hereby crying on behalf of my 22-year-old daughter, who is in her third-year LLB degree. She has just written six semester tests. She's so scared of results. May Holy Spirit intervene and make markers to be lenient to her scripts and pass all of them. May her CAM be not less than 55% in all subjects. May she qualify to sit for exam all subjects. May any evil imagination against her not succeed. May favor and grace follow her in all subjects. May she be promoted to fourth year. Amen. Well, let's have uh, one more. Prayer ID 76170. For the sake of my health, I must release all this excess weight. I currently weigh exactly 226 pounds. Please pray I can be at least 199 pounds by Halloween, and that I can get to this weight in a fun and happy and joyful and healthy way. Thank you, and God bless you. Amen. Let's have a moment of silent prayer for everyone in need of comfort and prayer and weight loss and whatever else they might need in this troubled time. Amen. All right, we're going to explore some of the myths, legends, and history of the Chalagi, the Cherokee. My ancestors. <laughs> yeah. Someone who don't who doesn't like me said that uh called my show the Lullaby Show. And uh oh well, there's some truth to that, I suppose. We're a relaxed show. We're laid back. That's my personality, you know. Um I'm a very laid back guy. I was thinking about this, um, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a member of an organization I used to be a member of. And, uh, I was thinking today, I've lost some more weight. I dropped some more weight myself and, uh, I'm down the lowest weight I've been since high school. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like 192 now. And, uh, at one time I weighed about 330 pounds and, uh, I was a member of this uh, organization. And, um, I attended, uh, a meeting, they meet once a year. And I will tell you that, uh, people are very mean. Um, they think they're funny, but they're mean. And, uh, one of these chaps who was a, uh, an older fellow, uh, from around New York area. And I, I didn't know him very well. I knew his name and I knew a few things about him, but I really didn't know him that well. He, not, certainly not enough for him to say the sort of thing that he did. Um, uh, and he came up to me and, uh, and he said, oh, uh, he said, uh, yeah. He said, you're a Buddhist, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he did two things. He he put his hand on my belly and he goes, well, you, you've you got the Buddha part down. And I guess he thought he was funny. But first of all, you, you don't touch somebody intimately like that. That's a violation of space. And how dare he say something like that? And uh, there's something the people who know me well know, and that is don't start crap with me unless you're willing to go to the mat with me i'm a very 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 nice guy unless you start something with me 99 percent of the time i'm a buddhist the other one percent of the time i'm a redneck so why did he say something like that why did he feel because i was overweight it was okay to bully me that was a that was bullying right i mean he put his hand on my belly and then he said something insulting like that, thinking he was funny. So I'll tell you my response and maybe you'll think less of me for this, but I said, I'm also a spiritualist. Do you want a message from your dead wife? And then of course I lost a whole bunch of weight and, um, you know, the way I did this was through uh, meditation and examining the question, why do I eat when I'm not hungry? And the reason had nothing to do with food and I recorded my, uh, weight loss, um, journey on a blog that's still on my website, uh, on my John St. Germain website, over a course of years. And um, I got down to about 200 pounds. Um, 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 and then over time, I got below 200 pounds. And um, so. Um, um, It's it's a very interesting journey. Now, I'll tell you that uh, recently when I've lost, I've dropped another 9 or 10 pounds, I guess. And for me, um, weight is a storage unit, and it stores emotion. And most of the emotion it stores for me, I think, is grief. And when I drop that weight, those emotions are released, and I have to um, digest them or process them. And so when I lose uh, significant weight, like two pounds, three pounds, four pounds, five pounds, I will feel those emotions that I had um, buried. And so uh, this is, I was just reminded of this because of the person who prayed for weight loss. So just understand that if you do enter a weight reduction program, there may be a release of emotions that um you you know there's a reason you were overeating right it's not it's not about food it never is about food there's emotional eating and the emotions that you were dealing with while you were eating it's like going back in time it's like turning the clock back as you become thinner and i don't care how you do it if you do it through um dealing with emotions, if you do it through a controlled diet, you do it through ketogenic eating, you do it through lap banding. As you drop that weight, as you metabolize the fat, you are going to experience the very emotions that you were coping with. The defense mechanisms that you use are often more damaging to you than the original trauma. And this is true about anything. Um, the defenses that you put up are often more harmful to you than the original hurt. And, uh, as you work through these issues, uh, you know, do so with help. That's the best advice I can give you. Get help, get good help. And, um, that's just the best thing I can tell you. Um, cause I can tell you, you really don't want, um, uh, the advice from unkind strangers. Um, um, you really don't so let's uh deal with our um let's dive into our topic legends and uh, history of the of the cherokee and we left off last week i was going to talk to you about the um the great leech uh of uh plan lucy and uh uh the great leech actually appears in a story i wrote um uh he makes an appearance in a, in a horror story I wrote one time, and it was exactly this very book that uh, um, uh, about it. So um, I, I will tell you about it. So where um, where uh, the Hawasi River joins what is probably the Ohio River in North Carolina uh, is known uh, uh, is known as uh, Lucy leech place and uh, this is the story that they tell about it so just above this junction is a deep hole uh, in the valley river and above it is a ledge of rock running across the stream uh, over which people used to cross the river like it was a bridge so on the south side of the trail there's a high bank from which they could look down into the water so one day uh, some men were going along the trail uh, probably hunting and they saw a great red object easily as large as a house lying on the rock ledge in the middle of the stream below them so as they stood there they wondering what in the world this could be they saw it unroll and by this movement they knew it was alive and while they watched it stretched itself along the rock until it looked like a great leech with red and white stripes along its body so it rolled back up into a ball and again stretched out at full length, and at last, after a period of time, it crawled down the rock until it was out of sight in the deep water. At which point the water began to boil and foam, and a great column of white spray was thrown high in the air. And it came down like a waterspout upon the very spot where the men had been standing. And had they st- still been there, it would have swept them all in the water. But uh, they saw it in time and they all, they they fled the place as uh, as you and I would have too if we saw a giant leech <laughs> jumping into the water. Now, uh, as it turned out, more than one person uh, had been carried away by that great leech. You know, when when they came back and they were talking about it, uh, their friends would find the body afterward lying upon the bank with their ears and nose eaten completely off, until at last. Over time, people were afraid to even go across that ledge anymore on account of the Great Leech, and they just avoided that trail altogether. But, as you might suspect, there was one young fellow who just laughed at the whole story and said it was an old wives' tale, and he said he was not afraid of anything in the Valley River, and he'd show them, by golly. So one day he painted his face in uh, his most uh, daring war paint, and he put on his finest buckskin, and he grabbed his weapons, and he started off toward the river while all the people followed at his distance because they wanted to see what was going to happen. So down the trail he went in high spirits and out upon the ledge of the rock, singing Lucy Gaga, Digi, Gaga, Dokwan, La which in uh, English means I'll tie red, red skins on my legs for garters. Well, let's see how this turns out. Before he was halfway across the water, the water began to boil into white foam, and a great wave rose and swept over the rock and carried him down, and he was never seen again. So much for the red leech garters. So before the uh, removal, the Trail of Tears, about 60 years before, in fact, uh, two women went out upon the ledge to fish. And their friends warned them of the danger. They said, no, there's a big leech that will eat you up. But one woman who had her baby on her back said, there are fish there, and I'm going to have some. I'm, I'm tired of his greasy deer meat and stuff. So she laid the child down on the rock and was preparing the line when the water suddenly rose and swept over the ledge. And it would have carried off the child, but the mother ran in time to save it. So they say the great leech is still there in the deep hole. Because when people look down, they see something alive moving down on the bottom. And although they can't distinguish its shape on account of the ripples on the water, they know it's still the leech. And some say there's an underground waterway between the Valley River over to the Notley River, which is not far from the mouth where the river bends over toward Murphy. And sometimes the leech will go over there and make the water boil as it used to at the Rock Ledge so they call that spot over on notley the, the leech place too which may account for many disappearances next we're going to t- we're going to talk about ghost stories and things as we approach halloween there are also these um individuals, these entities, called uh, the Nihi, the Nanihi. And there's some other spirit folks, but the Nanihi, or immortals, are also known as the people who live anywhere. And these are, were a race of spirit people who lived in the highlands of the old Cherokee country, up in the, uh, around Klingman's Dome area. And uh, they had a great many townhouses especially in the Bald Mountains, Klingman's Dome, the high peaks on which no timber ever grows. So they had these large townhouses in Pilot Knob and, and under the old mounds in North Carolina and some under the Blood Mountain at the head of Notley River in Georgia. They were invisible except when they wanted to be seen. And then they looked and spoke just like other individuals. They were very fond of music and dancing, and hunters in the mountains would often hear the dance and song and the drum beating in some invisible townhouse, but when they went toward the sound, it would shift around, and then they would hear it behind them or away in some other direction so they could never find the place where the dance was. These spirits were friendly people, and they often brought lost wanderers to their townhouses under the mountains and cared for them there until they were arrested and then guided them back to their home. Quite often, too, when the Cherokee were hard-pressed by an enemy, the Naniha warriors would come out and have saved them from defeat. Some people have thought they're the same as the, uh, the Yunwi Chundi, the little people, but they're, but they're not, because the little people were fairies, no larger than children. So once there was a man in Notleytown who'd been with the Nunahee when he was a boy, and he told this historian whose name was Wofford all about it. He was a truthful, hard-headed man, and Mr. Wofford had heard the story so often from other people that he asked this man to tell it, and he told it as follows. When he was about 10 or 12 years old, he was playing one day near a river, shooting at a mark with his bow and arrows, until he became tired and he started to build a fish trap in the water. While he was piling up the stones in two long walls, a man came and stood on the bank and asked him what he was doing. The boy told him, and the man said, Well, that's pretty hard work, and you ought to rest a while. Come and take a walk up the river. The boy said no, that he was going home to dinner soon. Come right up to my house, said the stranger, and I'll give you a good dinner there and bring you home again in the morning. Boy, that wouldn't fly this day, would it? So the boy went with him up the river until they came to a house when they went in and the man's wife and the other people there were very glad to see him and gave him a fine dinner and were very kind to him. Man, if a uh, nonihi did that this day, they'd call the police on him. He'd be in jail. While they were eating a, man, well, they're eating, a man that the boy knew very well came in and spoke to him so that he felt quite at home. So after dinner, he played with the other children and slept there that night, and in the morning after breakfast, the man got ready to take him home. They went down a path that had a cornfield on one side and a peach orchard fenced in on the other until they came to another trail. The man told the boy, Go along this trail along that ridge, and you'll come to the river road that will bring you straight to your home, and now I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to go back home. So the man went back to the house, and the boy went along the trail, but when he'd gone a little way, he looked back, and there was no cornfield or orchard or fence or house, nothing but trees on the mountainside. He thought it very strange, but somehow he wasn't frightened, and he went on until he came to the river trail inside of his home. There were a great many people standing about talking, and when they saw him, he ran toward him, shouting, Here he is, here he is, he's not drowned or killed in the mountains. So they told him they'd been hunting him ever since yesterday noon and asked him where he'd been. The boy told them, a man took me over to his house just across the ridge, and I had a fine dinner and a good time with the children, said the boy. I thought Utsi Dakala here, that was the name of the man he had seen at dinner, would tell you where I was. But Utsi Katala said, I haven't seen you. I was out all day in my canoe hunting you. It was one of the Nanihi that made himself look like me. Then his mother said, you say you had dinner there? Oh, yeah, and I had plenty, too, said the boy. But his mother answered, there's no house there, only trees and rocks. But we hear a drum sometimes in the big bald above. The people you saw were the Nunihi. We'll come back with more tales after our station identification. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Condram and Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, and the Witch the Priestess and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay. Fridays 6 to 7, all-time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern, Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. There are many tales of the Nunahi. I could tell you many, many of them. Apparently, they were very numerous in that place. Uh, there was once a big... Um, to do a big dance, and uh, a couple of uh, women were there, very attractive. And they went outside, and some men followed them to cool off. And uh, they followed the women down to the uh, river, and the women just vanished. And the men realized they were in Nahi. So there were many, many tales about them. Maybe we'll tell some more later. Um, I'm going to tell you a story, a spirit story about the removed townhouses. And uh, um, so long before the removal, the Trail of Tears. Um, the people on Valley River and the Hawasi heard voices of invisible spirits in the air um, warning them of wars and misfortunes which the future held in store and inviting them to come and live with the Nunahi, the immortals in their homes under the mountain and under the waters. And uh, why they didn't, I don't know. But for days the voices hung in the air and the people listened until they heard the spirits say, if you would live with us, Gather everyone in your townhouses and fast there for seven days, and no one must raise a shout or a war whoop in all that time. Do this, and we shall come with you, and you'll see us, and we'll take you to live with us. So the people were afraid of the evils that were to come, and they knew that the immortals of the mountains and the waters were happy forever. So they gathered in their townhouses and had a council, and they decided to go live with them. Those of the town came all together into their townhouses and prayed and fasted for six days. On the seventh day, there was a sound from the distant mountains, and it came nearer and nearer and grew louder, until a roar of thunder was all about the townhouse, and they felt the ground shake under them. This frightened them, and despite the warning, some of them screamed out. The Nunahi, who had already lifted up the townhouse with its mound to carry it away, were startled by the cry, and let a part of it fall to the earth, where now we see, at that time, uh, the Mound of uh, Sitsi. They steadied themselves again and bore the rest of the townhouse with all the people in it to the top of Lone Peak near the head of Chiowa, where you can see it to this day, changed long ago to solid rock, that the people who lived there are invisible and immortal. The people of another town on Hawassi, at the place which is called Shooting Creek, also prayed and fasted, and at the end of seven days the Nunahi came and took them away down under the water, where they live now to this very day. And on a warm summer day, when the wind ripples the surface, if you listen very carefully, you can hear them talking below. So when the Cherokee drag the river for fish, the fish drag always stops and catches there, even though the water is deep and the people know it's being held by their kinsmen, who don't want to be forgotten. And when the Cherokees were forcibly removed to the west, one of their greatest regrets of those along Hawassi and the Valley Rivers was that they were compelled to leave behind forever for the relatives who had gone to the nunahi So in Tennessee River, near Kingston, which is 18 miles or so below Loudoun, Tennessee, is a place which the Cherokee called Gusti, where once was a settlement long ago, but one night while the people were gathered in the townhouse for a dance, the bank caved in and carried them all down into the river. And boatmen passing the spot in their canoes see the round dome of the townhouse, which is now turned to stone in the water below them, and sometimes hear the sound of the drum and dance coming up, and they never fail to throw food into the water in return for being allowed to cross in safety. You didn't know all that, did you? That there's invisible, immortal Cherokees living under your very feet leave you down here now we'll talk about the spirit defenders of uh, Nikwasi so long ago and remember many of these stories were recorded around 1860 or so so long ago a powerful unknown tribe invaded the country from the southeast killing people as they went destroying settlements wherever they they passed and just basically wreaking havoc anywhere they went. So no no leader could stand against them, no war chief could oppose them. And in a little while they'd wasted all the lower settlements and advanced into the mountains. So the warriors of the old town of Nikwasi, which was on the head of the little Tennessee River, gathered their wives and children into the townhouse and kept scouts constantly on the lookout, day and night, for the presence of danger. So one morning, just before dawn, spies saw the enemy approaching, and at once they gave the alarm. So the Nkwasi men seized their arms and rushed out to meet the attack, but after a long and hard battle, they found themselves overpowered and began to retreat. Suddenly, a stranger stood among them and shouted to the chief to call off his men, and he himself would drive back the enemy. So from the dress and language of the stranger, the Nikwasi people thought him a chief who had come with reinforcements from the overhill settlements in Tennessee. So they fell back along the trail, and as they came near the townhouse, they saw a great company of warriors coming out from the side of the mound as though an open doorway. Then they knew that their friends were the Nunahi, the immortals, although no one had ever heard before that they lived under the Nekwasi mound. So the Nunahi poured out by the hundreds, armed and painted for the fight. And the most curious thing about it all was that they became invisible as soon as they were fairly outside the settlement, so that although the enemy saw the glancing arrow or the rushing tomahawk and felt the stroke, he couldn't see who sent it. Before such invisible foes, the invaders soon had to retreat, going first south along the ridge to where joins the main ridge which separates the French Broad River from the Tuskaki River, and then turning with it to the Northeast. The cool thing is, I have seen the sights of these battles. Uh, I've walked, and uh, I have walked among where these things occurred, and you can feel the very essence of, uh, of these spiritual forces. And you know, developers want to build like condominiums and crap on these sacred grounds. It's just terrible. As they retreated, <clears throat> they tried to shield themselves behind rocks and trees but the Nunahi arrows went around the rocks like boomerangs and killed them from the other side, and they could find no hiding places. You did not mess with a Nunahi. So all along the ridge they fell until when they reached the head of Tukasigi, not more than half a dozen were left alive. And in despair, they sat down and cried out for mercy. And so ever since then, the Cherokee have called the place Unyi. Where the enemy cried. So when the Nunahi chief told them they had deserved their punishment for attacking a peaceful tribe, and he spared their lives and told them to go home and take the news to the people, don't mess with us. So this was the Indian custom, always to spare a few to carry back the news of defeat. They went, you know, go back, go back, go back to your women and, uh, and tell them how bad we whooped you. Uh, they went home nor- toward the north, and the Nanahi went back to the mound. And they're still there. They're still there, according to this legend, because it is said, in that last war, when a strong party of federal troops came to surprise a handful of Confederates posted there, they saw so many soldiers guarding the town that they were afraid and went away without making an attack. That would have been the battle. Uh, There was a battle where the Cherokee sided with the Confederacy. Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the battle. Uh, Battle of French Creek. I can't remember the battle. There's another story that once while all the warriors of a certain town were off on a hunt, or a dance in another settlement, one old man was chopping wood on the side of the ridge when suddenly a party of the enemy came upon him. Throwing his hatchet at the nearest one, he turned and ran for the house to get his gun, and make the best defense that he might. On coming out at once with a gun, he was surprised to find a large body of strange warriors driving back the enemy. It was no time for questions, and taking his place with the others, they fought hard until the enemy was pressed back up the creek and finally broke and retreated among the mountains. So once that battle was over and there was time to catch their breath again, the old man turned to thank his new friends, but he was alone. They had disappeared as though the mountain had swallowed them. Then he knew they were the Nunahi who'd come to help their friends the Cherokee. And you know, it is said that when the time is right, the Nunahi will appear again and make make things right and bring justice. We spoke before of uh you the slant eyed giant. And uh, we'll speak of him again now. So a long time ago, there was a widow who lived with her one daughter at the old town of Canoga on the Pigeon River. The girl was getting old enough to marry, and her mother used to talk with her a good deal and tell her she has to be sure to take no one but a good hunter for her husband so that they would have someone to take care of them and always have plenty of meat in the house. So the girl said, well, such a guy is hard to find, but her mother advised her, don't be in a hurry and wait until the right man came along. Always sound advice. Find a man who can feed you, a good provider. I told you there's good wisdom in these old tales. Now, the mother slept in the house while the girl slept outside in in the yard. So one night, a stranger came. To the yard wanting to court the girl that she told him her mother would not let her marry anyone except he be a good hunter well said the stranger I'm a great hunter so she let him come in and he stayed all night so just before the day day he said he must go back now to his own place but but he had brought some meat for her mother and she would find it outside and then he went away and the girl hadn't seen him when day came she went out and found there a deer which he brought into the house of her mother and told her it was a present from her new sweetheart. Her mother, as you might imagine, was quite pleased at having fresh venison to eat, and they had deer steaks for breakfast, and I guess deer steaks for lunch and deer steaks for dinner. He came again the next night, but again went away before daylight, and this time he left two deer outside. The mother was more pleased than ever, but said to her daughter, I wish your sweetheart would bring us some wood. Now, whatever he might be, the stranger knew their thoughts. So when he came the next time, he said to the girl, tell your mom I brought the wood. And when she looked out in the morning, there were several great trees lying in front of the door, roots, branches and all. The old woman was angry and he said he might have brought us some wood that we could use instead of whole trees that we can't split to litter up the road with brush. So the hunter, who you imagine by now, if you haven't figured it out, was a magical being knew exactly what she said and the next time he came he brought nothing and when they looked out in the morning the trees were gone and there was no wood at all so the old woman had to go after some herself almost every night he came to see the girl and each time he brought a deer or some other game but still he always left before daylight at last her mother said to her your husband always leaves before daylight why doesn't he wait i want to see what kind of son-in-law i have So when the girl told this to her husband, he said he could not let the old woman see him because the sight would frighten her. She wants to see you anyhow, said the girl, and began to cry until at last he had to consent but warned her that her mother must not say that he looked frightful. So the next morning he didn't leave so early but stayed in the yard, and when it was daylight, the girl went out and told her mother. The old woman came and looked in and there she saw a great giant with long, slanting eyes lying doubled up on the floor with his head against the rafters in the left-hand corner at the back and his toes scraping the roof in the right-hand corner by the door. She gave only one look and ran back in the house crying, Usi, u- u- Ugasi, Ugasi, which meant slant-eyed giant, slant-eyed giant. So Akali was terribly angry. He untwisted himself and came out of the Ossie which is like a little hut that he was living in, and said goodbye to the girl, telling her that he would never let her mother see him again, but would go back to his own country. Then he went off in the direction uh, where he lived. Soon after he left, the girl had her monthly period, and there was a great flow of blood, and the mother threw it all into the river. And one night after the girl had gone to bed in in the little hut, her husband came again to the door and said to her, It seems you are alone and asked where was the child she said there'd been none then he asked where was the blood and she said that her mother had thrown in the river she told just where the place was and he went there and found a small worm in the water he took it up and carried it back to the Aussie and as he walked it took form and began to grow until when he reached the Aussie it was a baby girl that he was carrying he gave it to his wife and said Your mother does not like me and abuses our child. So come and let us go to my home. The girl wanted to be with her husband, so after telling her mother goodbye, she took up the child and then went off together to where Slant-Eyed Giant lived. Now, the girl had an older brother who lived with his own wife in another settlement, and when he heard that his sister was married, he came to pay a visit to her and her new husband. But when he arrived at Kanuga, His mother told him his sister had taken the child and gone away with her husband. Nobody knew where he was sorry to see his mother so lonely. So he said he would go to his sister and try to find her and bring her back. Now, as you can imagine, it was very easy to follow the footprints of the giant and the young men went along the trail until he came to a place where they had rested. And there were tracks on the ground where a child had also been lying and other marks as if a baby had been born there. Now, he went along the trail and came to another place where they'd been resting and there were tracks of a baby crawling about and another tr- lying on the ground apparently brother was a really good tracker he went on and came to where they rested again and even more tracks of a child crawling about. he went on until he came where they'd been rested again and more tracks of one child running around and another walking followed the trail along the stream into the mountains and came to the place where they had rested again and this time there were footprints of two children running all around, and the footprints can still be seen in the rock at that place this very day. Now, if you want to find out what happens when he catches up with his sister and the slant out giant, come back next week. This has been your host, John St. Germain, telling you tales of the Cherokee. Thanks for sticking with us. See you again next week.